This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
for a couple of old codgers. Uh, it's just amazing. Let's just still our hearts and prepare our hearts for the Word. Lord, we thank You. Thank You for that incredible birth 2,000 years ago, down from His glory. Wow. Lord, it's, uh, it's because of that that we're here this morning, and just uh, would you uh, prepare our hearts now as we enter our study of the Word. Lord, would you anoint me? Would you anoint your Word? Would you anoint the hearers? And uh, Father, just speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, again, we're This is our third lesson in our series entitled, Rediscovering Jesus. And the motivation for this series is that I have such a longing for all of us, you, me, all of us, to have a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. And and I want to be clear, I don't want this to be just a, a, a little spiritual buzz that we might get out of a weekend conference or church service or... Sometimes people really get fired up over a YouTube video and those things can have their place. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, it should be fueled by more than just a weekend conference or a revival meeting. Because if we rely solely on those things, then we haven't come to understand the concept of abiding in Christ. And and again, all of those things have their place. But we need to rediscover Jesus in a way that we will have His continual daily presence and daily power. And that's what I want in my life, and that's what I want in your life. So in our first lesson, we talked about how John the Baptist showed up on the banks of the Jordan River draped in animal skins and and probably had locust breath and, and honey dripping from his beard. 
He was preaching and baptizing. And remember, he was the first on record to physically baptize people by immersing them under the water. Up until that point, baptism was more of a ceremonial cleansing or washing. And and they pretty much did it themselves. It was self-baptism. But here he came. He dipped them. He dunked them completely in the water. Um, and then while he was doing that... Uh, would you believe at that moment John walked or, or Jesus walked up to John in what would become his moment of introduction into ministry and and John said look look the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and and remember that phrase takes away here's what it means literally it means to lift up and carry off lift up and carry off the sins of the world which is what Jesus did on the cross well, after being baptized and, and a dove landing on Jesus and a voice saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, in a strange twist of events, Jesus disappears. He disappears into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by whom the Bible calls the tempter. And, and, and remember, and this is just a, a quick review, but remember what the word tempter means in the original? It, it has the connotation of what today we would call a pot stirrer. And by the way, Satan is still a pot stirrer today. And so if you're a pot stirrer, you're acting like Satan. I'm just saying. Well, after 40 days of temptation, Jesus came out victorious. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And that's what happens when we resist Satan. We have the power of the Spirit. And it goes on and says, a news about him spread through the whole countryside. And, and finally, at the age of 30, Jesus actively begins his public ministry. Verse 15 says, he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Well, one day after church, or I guess after synagogue, a guy named Simon Peter, who at that time was a nobody, uh, he invites Jesus home for lunch and and on the way home, he more or less says, Jesus, I, I have a little bit of an agenda. You know, my mother-in-law has a fever and it just won't go away. And it's not a big deal to me because it's just my mother-in-law. I actually made up that part, okay? But anyway, Peter or, or someone there said, uh, we were wondering if maybe you could do something uh, about her fever. Let me just read it to you, to you so you know what it really says. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Well, as you can imagine, news like that spread like wildfire. And so that evening in verse 40, uh, Luke chapter 4, says, When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed him. Now, most of the time we read right past this, but we need to call a time out because this is very significant. In that day, you were not supposed to touch sick people because even though they did not understand the concept of, uh, of, of germs, Yet they had come to notice that with certain diseases, especially diseases like leprosy, if you touched someone, many times later on, you would come down with that same disease as well. Well, here comes Jesus, and he isn't one bit afraid of any disease, and he begins to intentionally touch sick people. 
But then what really blows their minds is that when Jesus touches sick people, instead of his becoming sick with the disease, it worked the other way. Jesus didn't get sick. They got well. But then there's something else I want to point out. This is important as well. Back in that culture, people associated sin with sickness. So if you were sick, the people always wondered, hmm, wonder what sin he or she committed to get sick. You know, for those of you who have had the flu or a cold back in that day, people would be wondering, hmm, wonder how they sinned. Well, again, here comes Jesus, and and he was not only touching people and healing them, but this really stirred them up. After healing them, he would say, your sins are forgiven you. Now, Now, follow along here. Um, how can you tell if a person has the power to heal? You know, it's pretty easy. You know, if you pray for someone and the symptoms go away, they're made well, if this happens on a fairly regular basis, then you can't deny that somebody has the power to heal. But, but keep on tracking here. This is a little more difficult. How can you tell if a person has the power to forgive sin? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, if you came to me and confessed a sin that you'd committed and, you know, we don't do that in our tradition. There are churches that do that. They have confessional booths and I'm glad I don't have to hear all about your sins and I'm glad I don't have to confess my sins to a priest. But let's just say that that we did that and, um, you know, you you would come and, and you confess your sins to me and I would tell you, well, your sins are forgiven. How would you know that I had the power to forgive your sins? The truth is you wouldn't really know. But but keep on tracking here. When Jesus touched a person who was sick, and in their minds, sin was related to sickness, and as he touched them, they were healed of their sickness, that just gave a big clue that Jesus might actually have the power to forgive sin as well. So Jesus is physically touching sick people, healing them, forgiving their sins, And then that sets the stage for the account that provides the foundation for our lesson today. And there are two versions of this account that we want to look at. Matthew gives us one version. Luke gives us another version. They're both accurate. But Luke gives us a little bit more detail. Maybe to illustrate uh, the difference here, just kind of a Cedar County illustration. A couple of Sundays ago, many of you noticed, uh, in fact, Faith mentioned, I think it was during the second service, but... I had a big bandage on my little finger. I mean, a big, big bandage. And and, and it was one of those dumb mistakes. I, uh, nothing I could really use to make me out to be a war hero or anything like that. I mean, I, I sliced my finger on a sharp piece of metal on, on the deck of my mower. And, and, and I really did a good job on it without getting too graphic here because some of you might pass out and end up on the floor. But it was a long cut. It was a deep cut, deep enough to where I saw the fatty tissue exposed and it bled massive amounts and I had to get a tetanus shot. And so so faith put this huge bandage on my finger to keep blood from dripping while I was preaching Sunday morning and grossing everybody out. And now many of you were concerned or or, or at least curious. And and about a hundred of you asked me, what happened to your finger? Well, because I'm a man of few words, except when I'm preaching. I said, well, I sliced it on the mower. Well, many of you wanted more details. 
Well, it's that same way with this account. Matthew is like me. He didn't give many details, but Luke did. In fact, if, if Luke were detailing my slice finger, he would have given enough details where probably a few of you would have passed out. So these two writers, they have the same story. They don't contradict each other. They complement each other. So let's begin with the short version that Matthew gives. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. That's it. Matthew tells about Peter and Andrew. And they're basically like, hey, Dad, I know you raised us to take over the family fishing business, but we're actually leaving to follow this homeless guy with long hair. We'll see you, Dad. Tell Mom bye for us. Have a good life. It almost comes across as insensitive and irresponsible. And, and, And I grew up hearing preachers make a big deal out of this. And they said, well, you just need to follow Jesus. And you need to give up everything. And if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And there was always this guilt trip. But Luke was writing to more of a non-Jewish audience and realized, hey, there might actually be some questions on this. And so he confirms Matthew's story, but he gives a bunch more details. So here's Luke's account of what Matthew just told us. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or Gennesaret, either one, and that's the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And and again, I want to pause here because we stumble on something that's very, very important. And it's simply this. Christianity is an informed, evidence-based faith. And I know we've always been told, well, you just got to have faith. And, you know, salvation is by grace through faith. And it is. You've got to have faith. But you better make sure that your faith is based on something or someone reliable. Don't blindly put your faith in something just because your parents or your church or even your pastor teaches it. In fact, I'm, I'm, I realize I'm kind of meddling here, but if you're in any kind of church where you're not allowed to ask questions. And I'm not talking about questions such as, well, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Please don't send me emails like that, okay? Please, I get enough silly stuff as it is. But I'm talking about questions regarding eternity. Our Christianity cannot be based on blind and uninformed faith. So you better check out everything I say. I may be wrong. I mean, there's a first time for everything. But but anyway, uh, just kidding. Jesus is teaching the word. The crowd is massive. He's standing at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And scripture says in verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, the reason they're washing their nets is because they'd been fishing. This was probably mid-morning. In this part of the world, you would fish at night because in the cool of the night, the fish would come to the surface to feed. They'd get caught in the nets. And so they've been fishing. They're now cleaning their nets. And if it were today, they would probably be cleaning out the plastic straws, beer cans, McDonald's and Sonic wrappers. And then they would spread out the nets so they could dry. And then after that, they would roll them up. And since they had been fishing a good part of the night, they would go home and get some rest before doing the same thing over again that night. Let's continue reading. 
Verse 3, he, meaning Jesus, and since it's not time for him to walk on water yet, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, asked him to put out a little from shore. You know, water helps amplify sound and it would get him away from the crowd. So, I, you know, I'm just guessing maybe 10, 15, 20 yards away from, from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, I was thinking about this this, this past week. When you, when you look at this from the perspective of a pastor, it's kind of a cool teaching environment. You're at the lake. You're in a boat. You've got this massive crowd. They're all dialed in. Nobody's left their cell phones on, so no cell phones are ringing. Nobody's texting. Nobody is looking at social media. They're not worried about missing the noon kickoff. They're latching onto every word you say. And when Jesus finishes his sermon, he gives an invitation. But it's not a come forward invitation. You know, come to the edge of the water if you want to make a decision. It wasn't an invitation to join the church because the church wasn't even in existence yet. Do you know what kind of invitation it was? It was a let's go fishing invitation. I'm serious. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, you've heard messages on this, and, and you know that this request was, was frankly kind of silly because these professional fishermen had already fished all night. Well, Simon Peter answers Jesus probably like we would have. In verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. Sounds like my fishing trips. But, but Jesus, you know... You know, we, we, we've really worked hard all night. During the hours when you're supposed to catch fish, we don't have a thing to show for it. What are the odds of our catching fish during the time of day when you're not supposed to fish? And, and then he probably didn't say this, but maybe thought this. Jesus, if my recollection is correct, you're, you're a carpenter, right? And, and I'm sure you know all about being a carpenter. But obviously you don't know a thing about fishing. Uh, uh, plus, Jesus, uh, this massive crowd, they're watching and and they're going to watch me fish in the middle of the day. And boy, will I be the laughing stock of the entire community. But then here's the big transition point. And, and if I could invite all of you, especially if maybe your relationship with Jesus has gotten a little stale, a little flat, a little boring. You still go through the routine, but there's no grit anymore. This is the big moment that changed everything for Peter. Jesus said, let's go fishing. Peter's like, master, it's inconvenient, it's illogical, it's silly. We just got finished fishing. But here we see Peter's answer. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I mean, because you say so, and I, I mean, you heal my mother-in-law, and, and maybe Peter said, I've got mixed feelings about that. <laughs> Just kidding, but. And even though this may be a bit humbling to fish in the middle of the, of the day, people may laugh at me, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, now this is so amazing. At this moment, Peter had no idea what hung in the balance, and he didn't know the future. He couldn't see 
30 seconds down the road, much less 2,000 years down the road. He had no clue what the future held, but he let down the nets in obedience to Jesus, and that decision changed his life forever. He went from just another nameless, forgotten first century fisherman to someone that everyone, even if they never go to church, they pretty much know his name. And, and I want you to check this out. Could, could we see the next slide, please? Um, do you know what this is? Um, those of us that went to Israel and then on to Rome on our tour, this was nine years ago, we visited this church. This is St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And, and if you ever go there, you will think, how could they ever construct such a building? And, and it took them 120 years, and this was actually done in, in the 16th century. And um, I mean, it's just, just an incredible building. 120 years, the same time it took for Noah to build the ark. 120 years, and, and, and I'm not into buildings, and especially ornate Catholic churches, yet this building is beyond the word magnificent. And St. Peter's Basilica is built on the site, or at least in the vicinity, where Peter and, and even possibly Paul was executed. We've got a couple more pictures there. Um, I mean, it's just mammoth. It's, it's, it's ornate. It's, it's just incredible. One more picture. Now, again, in our religious tradition, we're not into basilicas and, and cathedrals, and, and we're not into worshiping saints. But what I want to say here is that Peter that day, when Jesus asked him to put out his nets, all he was thinking, we've been fishing all night. Now this carpenter wants us to fish in the daytime. How humiliating. People are going to think we're crazy. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance. He had no idea that he would write a couple of books of the Bible. He had no idea that his name would become a household name. He had no idea that he would walk on water. He had no idea that he would perform miracles. He had no idea that he would preach the opening sermon to inaugurate the church of Jesus where 3,000 people would come to Christ. Peter had no idea. But he obeyed Jesus and he said, Because you say so, I will obey you. Now let me quickly say this and then we'll get back to the account. We have no idea what hangs in the balance for us. Your yes to God. Your yes to God could not only drastically change your life, but change the lives of your friends, your family, your community, and even your church. Okay, so back to our account. When they had done so, not when they had talked about it, not when they had just prayed about it, rather when their faith intersected with the character and the trustworthiness of Jesus, Luke chapter 5, verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they called for backup, verse 7, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this huge catch, he cried out in a loud voice, We're rich. We won't have to work for several weeks. And immediately Peter offered Jesus a seven-year contract with 30% ownership of the company. Again, I made that all that up. You know that. What, what did Peter really do? He, he did what I think... What I would have done. I think what you would have done. 
Because in verse 8 it says, When Simon Peter saw this, you know, this incredible catch, whatever, he fell at Jesus' knees, and suddenly for Peter, fishing was the farthest thing from his mind. Listen, he didn't care about the catch of his life. And here's what he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, I, I, I wondered for many years, why did he say, it, it sounds kind of rude, go away from me, Lord, get away from me. Here's the reason he said that. In first century Judaism, religious leaders distanced themselves from sinners. And so Peter's assumption was that God did the same thing. But, but here Peter is confronted with the fact that Jesus has to in some way be connected to God. And, and he said, Lord, because I'm a sinner, I have no business being with you in the same crowd and, and much less in the same boat. I'm a rotten sinner. You, you probably don't need to be with me because I am so sinful. But of course, the good news was that Jesus, <laughs> this is good news, Jesus had come to establish a brand new kind of relationship between God and mankind, and being a sinner was a prerequisite. Well, then Jesus said to Simon something that he would say to the disciples over and over again. Pastor Jim, we were trying to listen as we were coming back from Colorado, trying to fight the ice and the snow on I-70 last Sunday. We were able to catch bits and pieces in, uh, you know, western Kansas, eastern Colorado, uh, but anyway, in verse in Luke chapter 5, jumping into verse 10, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. In other words, now that you've seen me heal, now that you've seen me control nature, there's nothing to be afraid of. And, and then I don't know, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but I think Jesus breaks out into this giant grin and he says, from now on you will catch men. In other words, Peter, let's go change the world together. Now, here's what I think many of us would say. Try to follow me here. Peter, you know what? If Jesus would do something like that for me, I mean, if he would help me have a fishing trip like that, of course I would follow him. It'd be easy. But here's how I think Peter would react to our saying that. I think he would say, seriously? Wait, wait, what? What did you just say? Yeah, Peter, if, if we would experience something, something similar to your fishing trip with Jesus, then of course we would follow him. And I think Peter would look at us in shock and say, I, I can't believe I just heard you say that. Yeah, Jesus took me on a guided fishing trip where we caught a lot of fish. It was a once-in-a-lifetime fishing trip. But do you know what he did for you? I mean, do you not read the Bible? In the Bible is a letter I wrote to you about this. In fact, I wrote two letters to you. Have you not read them? And, and I think Peter again would look at us stunned and say, seriously, you're just waiting on a fishing trip where you catch a lot of fish to follow Jesus? And, and maybe about that time, Peter would say, hey, let me read you a little bit from a letter that I wrote you in, the, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He would say, when they hurl their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And maybe Peter would stop a minute and say, hey, have you ever seen a crucifixion? To which I think all of us would say no. Okay, then, have you ever smelled a crucifixion? To which 
Again, we would say no. To which I think Peter would say, look at me. Hey, look at me. I have. In fact, I saw Jesus crucified. And when Jesus suffered, he made no threats. Everyone else screamed insults, but Jesus did none of that. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Peter said, I saw it. I heard it. I smell the blood. And then Peter might add this, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but when he was arrested, I ran, and maybe he said this just kind of in my own words, you know, with my hoodie up. Partially because it was cold, but mainly because I didn't want to be recognized by anyone. Maybe he hesitated, lips quivering. I denied that I even knew him. But then as I was watching from a distance, maybe Peter said it dawned on me. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And maybe Peter would say, do you know what that means? We used to think that we could never have a personal relationship with Almighty God because he was holy and we're not. But this means that instead of being separated from God, now Jesus took upon himself our sin. And we have an opportunity to not only have a relationship with God, but Peter takes it one step further and he says, and to live for righteousness. But then Peter might also say, that's not all. Since since you didn't read my letter, let me keep on reading to you. In verse 24, it says, by his wounds you have been healed. What does that mean? Well, yes, it refers to physical healing, but more than that, it means that through Christ's death on the cross, you've been restored. Your spiritual wounds have been healed. You've been made right with God. And Peter might finish up by saying, a fish story? Ah, that's nothing. Being crucified for your sins? That's massive. A fishing trip of a lifetime? Not that impressive. Jesus giving his life for you? Yeah, that's impressive. And so I think... uh, Peter, being a typical preacher, would say, and in conclusion, and you know what that means, absolutely nothing. But I think Peter would say, speaking to us, here you are on the other side of the resurrection, where you know that Jesus has defeated the cross, you know he's defeated the tomb, you know he's defeated the devil, yet you're still waiting on a miracle where you catch a bunch of fish? I I, I think Peter would say to us in Cedar County, Say, come on, man. What's wrong with you? So today, I just want to ask you, what's your next step? You know, well, for some of you, maybe your relationship with Jesus has been stale, become stale and flat, and maybe it's just kind of flatline, just routine, and you've been like Peter, maybe wearing your hoodie up, watching Jesus from a distance, hoping that nobody bothers you, and For you, maybe your next step is to come back and rediscover Jesus. Maybe for others of you, your next step is to begin serving. You've been fishing for yourself, and it's all about the fish. But I think Jesus would tell you, it's time to start fishing for men. It's time to make a difference in the world. It's time to do more than just make money and spend it. Because you never know what kind of impact your decision to follow Jesus wholeheartedly will make in the lives of others. For some of you, your next step is to fully surrender to Jesus. You know about him. 
but you really don't know Him. And so as we enter this Advent season, and we're on this quest to rediscover Jesus, I think here, what is it, the 2nd of December, the best thing that we could do is to say, okay, Jesus, because you say so, I'm going to fully obey you. I'm going to make you Lord of my life because you say so. I don't understand everything, but I do know that the word is trustworthy. It's something that we can count on being true. And I don't understand it all, but because you say so. Lord, I don't understand the future, but because you say so, I will do it. And so I think that would be the, the greatest thing we could ever do today. Recommit ourselves to the obedience, to obeying God regardless of what He asks us to do. Are you in? Are you in? Father, I thank You for this amazing example. Lord, so many times we, we get excited whenever we get a raise and it becomes about the money. And, but here, there was Peter just trying to make a living fishing and he has a catch of a lifetime and all of a sudden it's not about the fish anymore because he realizes that you're God and you called him and he said yes. And as a result of that, his life changed and Lord, there were miracles performed Lord, he preached a message the day of Pentecost. Lord, 3,000 people came to know you. The church was inaugurated. Buildings have been built. Lord, even though we're not into a lot of that, but yet this just shows what one decision did for Simon Peter. And so, God, I pray that today we would be all in. Lord, some of us, maybe we're trying to do our own thing. We're, we're, we're trying to provide for our family. We're trying to make sure that we've got enough retirement. And, you know, is this amount enough? And so we want to make sure that we work extra and we stash this away. And, Lord, it all becomes about kind of survival and just pampering ourselves. But, Lord, I believe for Peter, all of that faded into the background. It was not about the fish. It was about following Jesus, obeying Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to fully obey you. And for those that have maybe their relationship was flatlined and become routine. And Lord, I pray that we would rediscover Jesus today. That, Lord, there would be something fresh. That we would have a fresh encounter with you. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe have never accepted Jesus. And they're still just fishing away. And, and they don't know what it means to follow Jesus. I pray, God, that they would come to you. And that they would confess their sins and, and repent and Lord, uh, be a follower of Jesus Christ. There may be those that have never experienced the fullness of the Spirit and, and they're just walking in the flesh. They're walking in carnality. And I pray, God, that, that we would experience the power of Jesus in our lives. So, Lord, during this Advent season, we just ask that you would help us to rediscover you and that, Lord, this would be the most incredible Advent season that we've ever had because we know Jesus and we know that He's alive and He's working in our hearts and we have His power, we have His presence. In the name of our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ and all of these wonderful people here at the Church of God Holiness said, Amen and Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.